Welcome to Coward's Fury. I'm Chris. And I'm Charles. And this is our inaugural episode. Lucky you and lucky us. This is a true crime podcast for anyone who, well, likes true crime. So we're going to get into it. Just note, like any other podcast, ours will get better over time. Sometimes the sound quality might not be awesome. Sometimes the commentary might not be awesome. But we're going to get awesome, and you're going to be awesome with us. Thanks for joining. This first episode is actually going to be a two-parter. Normally we won't do that. They'll normally just be one. But today, just roll with it. Today's subject is an Olympic athlete and college professor who is now buried in a partially anonymous gravesite. Today we're focusing on James Howard Snook. So James Howard Snook was born September 17th, 1879 in West Lebanon, Ohio, uh, to a family uh, that's of well-off farmers. Um, He's the only son of Albert L. and Mary Kiever Snook. He had a younger sister, Bertha, who would go on to marry Arthur Hamilton. Hamilton would serve as Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives. The Snooks um, also had a distant, I think, third cousin, Relationship to John D. Rockefeller, who was the founder of Standard Oil. So definitely some money in the family. Jimmy, as he was called in his younger life, was a good student and a bit of a loner. Maybe not a typical future murderer. He loved to ride horseback and practice shooting pretty much all the time. So, all right. Hold on. He's a bit of a loner and practice shooting much of the time. All of the time. All the time. Yeah. That, I don't know. That makes for... I, I, that seems to me be a pretty good no because you'll see it's his shooting actually helps him out well okay i'm just noting duly noted to all of our fans that he's a loner and into shooting okay Uh, so with that duly noted snook snook yeah the shooter okay the snook family owned 220 acres and were seen as well to do that's a nice 1800s phrase some would say that the snook home was with its large, spacious wraparound porch and pretty plantings, was the finest home in town in New Lebanon, Ohio. Does anyone even know where the hell that is? Well, I mean, we this should. One of many towns in Ohio that. I'm sorry to anyone listening in New Lebanon. Yeah, um, it's an important place. Totally. Right. So the Snooks even had a racetrack on the property, which helped to spark young Jimmy's love and interest in animals which would also serve him well in the future. So uh, it would become his lifelong career. So first, Snook would obtain a two-year commercial business degree at Nelson's Business College in do, Cincinnati. Do they have – no, it should be the half Nelson. The half Nelson. Like the full Nelson's the full degree. That's the half Nelson. But okay. Okay. So so Jimmy, Jimmy got, got a two, half Nelson. He got a half he Nelson He got the half Nelson degree, okay. yes. Right. Yes. Got it. After that, Snook would go on to graduate from veterinary medicine – at the Ohio State University. He actually helped found Alpha Psi fraternity while there. The 1908 yearbook notes of Snook, quote, his friends, they are many. His foes, are there any? Unquote. There's no foes because they're all dead. This, <laughs> I don't even know anything about this guy. Well, I know a little bit about him, I think, because um, he's a loner and he's into shooting and he doesn't have any foes. And his parents were rich. Well, let me tell you more about him. All right. Can I? Sure. Right. So Snook was also part of the Ohio National Guard, Troop B, as in boy. His troop was called to duty to squash the efforts of the quote-unquote night riders. No, I don't mean David Hasselhoff. They were groups of people who would destroy tobacco fields and warehouses trying to break up the American tobacco company mon- monopoly. Troop B was... What? The, yeah. So wait, there was actually people called the night riders yeah. before Michael Knight? Yeah. I, I'm, yep. I'm questioning some research here, but I'm nope. just going to go with it. And that being said, actually, okay, fine. I believe you. Okay. And, and so 
so he so he fought the Knight Riders. Yes. Okay. Yes, he did. They, like, in fact, he was successful in beating back these Knight Riders. By 1921, Snook worked his way through the uh, faculty ranks at uh, the Ohio State University, obtaining his full professorship. So he, he on got top, his professorship. Yes, wait, wait. while doing night riding or beating the night riders. So he was a loner. He shot things all the time. He got a half now. Well, he practiced shooting. That's different. That too. Didn't have any foes because he killed them all or whatever. And then he fought the Night Riders. Yep. This is totally making. I'm seeing his. I think I see who this guy is this already. Is good. So while he was there, while he was a full professor at Ohio State, uh, he invented a tool for spaying female cats and dogs. It was dubbed the Snook Hook, and it's still used today. So a little creepy. So that's that, definitely that creepy. dudes into like castrate. Okay. Or, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It gets better. Or, okay. No, it gets better. This guy's special. Yep. Jimmy. Jimmy. So during that time, uh, in fact, September 11th, 1922, Snook married sixth grade school teacher Helen Marple of Newark. They married at the King Avenue, King Avenue United Methodist Church, which is still there today. Yeah, it's actually a beautiful church. Mm-hmm. They had one child, Mary Jill Snook. Did she, she go by, by like Jane? She, she went by Jill. 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 Jilly? Jill. Jill. Just Jill. Jill. During his time as a student at OSU... He continued his interest in handguns in 1911. That's normal. Wait. Snook had a world record. He won national championships. He solidified his position as one of the nation's premier shooters. He also had a first love, fly fishing. He obtained an appointment as the gun and ammunition editor of a popular monthly magazine. He used a pen name when he wrote, but it always included the word, quote unquote, king, like kingfisher, kingman, and Wesley King. And King Jimmy. And King Jimmy. He also, I, I made that up, I but I think he had but that I in like his that. mind. His, yeah, it's a strange place. So he's a shooter. Got it. Yeah. He also taught rifle and small arms shooting to Army recruits at the Military Aeronautics School on OSU campus during World War I while he was a student. His love of shooting was all around him. He had small a small pistol made from uh, spouting tin, which I think is aluminum. I tried to look it up, and I, I, I think it's aluminum. So maybe if somebody knows, they could email us at cowardsfury at gmail.com. He would use that to shoot rubber bands at flies. He also kept a real gun in his desk and would shoot birds out of the surrounding trees. um, Just for shits and giggles. So wait, so let me get this. So the dude, this is at Ohio State, right? So if if anyone isn't familiar with Ohio State, it's like any other large campus. Um, So it's totally normal to have a gun in your drawer and shoot birds for fun. Well, I would say it's not like any normal campus. It's because he worked there? No, because oh. it's the largest urban campus in the country. Right. Which so is that different. makes it okay to shoot birds. No, I think it makes it less okay. Oh, let, yeah. He would even practice sure. shooting. Why not? Well, he would even get together with the police force and practice shooting with the police force. Like the birds? And he, no, no, he wouldn't shoot the police. The, the police would shoot birds with him? I don't know. Maybe they would. But he did. Well, he this tra- was, you know, in the 1900s, this was early 1900s. It was normal. This was normal. Yeah. Maybe? And he, he actually okay. trained the police in rapid fire shooting. Did he smoke? Like a pipe? Probably. Uh, I'm thinking he's a pipe smoker. Probably. Okay. I have pictures I'll post. Okay. Let's find that out. That's okay. important, that, I think, for da- me. Yes. I think it's important for everybody. For everyone. Okay. In 19, uh, So 1929 was a landmark year in the history of the U.S. and the world. February witnessed the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that ended the lives of seven of Al Capone's rival gangsters. May brought us the very first Oscars award. 1929 also brought an end to the Roaring Twenties with the stock market crash in October, ushering in the Great Depression. 
In November, the Museum of Modern Art opens, and in June of that year, Vatican City gains its independence from Italy. You know, but you might you might think these are important, but something that bird researchers noticed is we saw a strong decline in the bird population in Columbus, Ohio that year. Oh my goodness! So uh, carry on. Okay, that was not researched. It happened. But June 1929 also saw a terrible murder right in the heart of it all, Ohio. Just for people who don't know, that's Ohio's tagline, in the heart of it all. I thought we were first in flight. No. Well, we were that, too. Okay. On June 14, 1929, two 16-year-old young men were out to get some shooting practice, see more shooters, at an outdoor shooting range when they stumbled upon a group. Yeah, but they weren't shooting from their faculty desk for fun. Okay, but they were out shooting. All right. But they made a gruesome discovery. Paul, I love this guy's name. Crummy? Crummy. Crummy. Crumloff. And Milton Miller. Like, seriously? Crummy and Milton. Miller. Who names their kid Milton if their last name is Miller? Right. We got, there are, there's the Millers. (laughs) All those Millers out there. Sorry. We're going to get Don't name your kid Milton. No. Anyway, a, they were about Listen, to... you could name, even name your kid Matt. Just don't name him Miller. <laughs> like, anyway. They were about to get their rifles out of the car when they noticed a farmer about 200 yards away. Not wanting to put the man in danger from a potential ricochet, they decided... See, they were polite young men. They decided they'd uh, better warn the man that they were there and about to do some target practice. That's how Crummy rolled. Right? He was like, I'm going to shoot shit. And but, but I, you know, if, if, you could, if you could just get out of my way. Right. Unlike... Jimmy, who just shot birds randomly. There's like students walking to class, and the dude like just whips out a gun and starts shooting. I, I'm sorry, that's in my mind. It, he was having fun. Snook, the snook hook. So, uh, before they actually reached the farmer to warm, warn him, that, that would be Crummy and Milton, they, uh, they, they found her. They found a body. They hopped into Miller's Whip It For sedan to get the police. But that would take 90 minutes. It's a whip it for sedan. I don't know. Like, this is crazy. You're the this, car guy around here. You I, should know that. This is like in look the at, 20s. And there's like a Milton and, and, and Crummy and Jimmy and a, a, a shooting birds from the desk. And, and now we got a, a whip it. Okay. This is, this. my head's going to explode. It's fun. This is nuts. Yeah. In the meantime, people crowded around to see the body. Franklin County Coroner Dr. Joseph A. Murphy and police photographer Homer C. Richter were called. Murphy. See, that's a good Irish guy. That's Murphy. A good Irish it's a cop. That guy, that's a that cop. That guy, that guy's like, he's- He wasn't. He, he was the coroner. He, yeah, but he's drinking. He's drinking his Irish coffee in the morning and his stout and in between doing the coroner work. Maybe. Uh, Murphy's a good guy, I can tell. I can just tell. Uh-huh. Just by his name. But before the coroner could get there, a crowd, Joe of, Murphy. A, a crowd of more than 20 people had formed- and officers on the scene had started their own investigation. One officer, John Guy, noticed uh, noticed a man's watch on the body's wrist that had stopped. When he picked up her arm, the watch started again. Once That's doc- great detective work. Oh, like totally. it, you know, I can see the scene. No, it's they, all, they screwed this it's, up it's completely. Like the, the whole scene, like the yes, the, they the, messed it up completely. Crummy's like you know, like throwing cigarettes on the thing on the you know the body, and the other yes. kids like he, he probably peed himself. I, yep. I think Milton peed himself, kind of like that Maybe. kid in The Simpsons. Like straight up, they really screwed yeah, this up. Yeah, and then the cops are like, "Oh, look at this! There's a watch on this 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 arm," and then they just like falls. Maybe I'll take it. Yeah, oh, they, they, he like flicked it and it started working. Good work, CPD. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by I the way, I'm, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of the CPD. <laughs> I just um, maybe in the 20s they just needed a little polishing. They oh, need some help. Yeah, well, not shooting birds apparently. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Uh, it's, so it's cool. So, so yeah. um, once Dr. Murphy arrived, he turned the body over and witnessed the brutality of the wounds. M- M- Murphy put an end to all that shit. He's like, no, nah, I'm doing my job now because I'm a good cop. I mean, he's a coroner. I'm a good coroner. 
So her nose had been squashed into her face. That's normal. The doctor grabbed her nose with his thumb and thumb and forefinger and jiggled it until it came back to its correct spot. See, Murphy's respectful. I don't think Murphy's all that. Respectful. Okay, so I'm I'm, I'm moving. My, I'm I'm changing my mind. Murphy's not that great anymore, but he's okay. So the body was sent off to Glenn L. Myers Mortuary for examination. They had to figure out who she was and who killed her. Well, he Dur- jiggled her nose back, so it, it helped. You know, that's important. That'll yeah. help to identify her. During okay. their examination of the body, police and medical examiners turned up very little evidence. She had a set of 12 keys, including a safety deposit box key. They felt uh, this was important because usually safe deposit box keys are. But the crime scene became a complete zoo. Yeah, with Milton and, yeah. and, and Crummy more and, than and a, jiggling the nose. Yes, yeah, more than a thousand looky-loos came to What's see. What's a looky-loo? Where did you, you get that? What, 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 I was trying to keep it. A, a looky-loo. Times, yeah. Actually, that's very creative. Thank you, thank nice you. work. Thank you. Came to the scene to get their uh, gander at the spot the gander. where- where the woman was killed. Looky loo. They trampled the grass and any evidence for 150 feet around the scene. They knocked loose stones from stone walls and stole evidence. Wait, where Stakes. did this? Where did this happen? Like, what, what am I missing? In Columbus, this is like Ohio. in the middle of a farm. Well, yeah, Columbus was really small back then. But this happened at like a like a country club. I thought I read. Yes, outside of a, like outside of a country club. Like say at a country club. It's like no, not no, there. not that one. No, which one? I don't know. Well, we we need to find that out. Okay. It's going to be on the website, everybody. Right. The day after the body was found, two sisters contacted the police. Alice and Beatrice Buston told authorities that their Oh, my roommate... God. With the names Beatrice Buston. Yeah. Holy shit. Look... No. Hold on. Oh, carry on. I'm sorry. Okay. This is... Cre- if your last... Really? Beatrice Buston? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. They told authorities that their roommate, Theora K. Hicks, had not returned home from a date the night before. Theora and one of the sisters, Alice, were both... Pre-med students sharing a one-bedroom apartment. They described Theora and were told to go down to the Glen Myers undertaking to see if the woman found was their friend. Ugh, can you imagine? They were not prepared for what they saw. The, the f- nose was fixed. Yeah, I don't think so. The face was smashed in almost beyond recognition. Murphy? They yeah. identified Theora based upon the clothes they'd seen her lay out the night she went missing. The Bustons said that Theora worked as a typist for the head of the graduate school at OSU and after work, she had come home, bathed, and set out her clothes for her date. She was in a good mood. They remembered her joking about her purse, saying, I've got to empty this thing before long. It's chock full of a lot of letters and papers of absolutely no account. They also noticed that this purse was not with Theora's body or her belongings collected from the scene. Alice recalled that Theora had received a call from a woman who said she'd had a lunch date with Theora on Friday at Pomerine Hall, but Theora hadn't showed. You know, they just redid Pomerine Hall. I don't even know. What is Pomerine Hall? It's on OSU's campus. It was the one that had the creepy old in-ground swimming pool you that know, they stored stuff in. The, it's gone now. They redid the whole hall. Still, it's 2022. There's still a building that has a dirt floor in the classroom. So, you know, go box. That's wild, right? No, seriously. It's Plum Hall. No joke. What? Mm-hmm. A dirt floor? I know. Yeah, okay. Maybe we need some donors to help with that. Anyone got any concrete out there? Uh, anyway, that, that that person that she was going to have lunch with turned out to be Peggy Edwards, secretary to Esther Allen Gaw, dean of the women at the university. Esther. But she said that Hicks never talked to her about her social life or her friends, and that Hicks didn't really associate with anyone or even flirt. 
She was, yeah, she was a, a, yes, no flirting. Straight up good girl. You're not going to think that when we're done, though. A taxi driver told police that he had picked up Hicks on Thursday. She was very nervous, chain-smoking three cigarettes, which she'd bummed from him, and telling him to, quote, go the back way, cut through the quarries, because the party I'm looking for comes in the back way in his coop. As the back they, way. The this back is, way. This is great. As they drove to the hilltop on the west side of Columbus, which is still called the hilltop, Earl Nichols, the taxi driver, said that when they were close to the state hospital for the insane, she had him stop. She got out and waited, and uh, he waited for her for about 10 minutes. Then he drove her back to the university area and dropped her off at Neal Avenue and 10th. At first, it was thought that uh, Nichols was the last one to see Theora alive. Hmm. But after additional investigation, it became known that Theora was training as a relief telephone operator for the university hospital. Does this girl stop? She's got letters. She doesn't flirt. And she's, she's training. Wait, she's in med school. She's young. Right. And she's trained to be a relief telephone operator. At the hospital. You know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. She, she was there Thursday evening around 6.30 for about an hour. She told her trainer, Bertha Dillon, that she had to leave to keep a date, but would be back around 9.30 or 10. Because that's how people do jobs now, then, back then. Dillon remarked that Hicks was quiet and nervous. Another connection to the university was through the office of William McPherson, dean of the graduate school. She worked as a stenographer for his office, although McPherson claimed at first not to have known her. After Hicks's body was found, oddly, McPherson refused to answer questions from the police until he stuck his head out of his second-story window, pajama-clad, and claimed to the police waiting below not to know the woman. He would later change that statement. Wait, she was hooking up with McPherson? I don't know, but he was in his office. He's professors, I'll tell you. In his pajamas. They're all giving good grades. Uh, Yeah, and they complain. Talk about a curve. Yeah. Others associated with the university that were interviewed said they'd seen Theora on multiple occasions with an older man in a navy blue coupe. On Friday evening, Theora's parents, Dr. and Mrs. Melvin Hicks, living in Bradenton, Florida, were notified that their daughter had been murdered. Theora Catherine Hicks was born August 10th, 1904 in Flushing, New York. She was the only child of Dr. and Mrs. Melvin Hicks, who were married 20 years before Theora's arrival. Dr. Hicks taught music at the Horace Mann School in New York. The family lived frugally but comfortably. They were a typical Victorian age-raised couple. They were able to pay for Theora's college, but not medical school. Dr. Hicks also taught Latin and Greek, which influenced the name they gave their child. Theora means, quote-unquote, God-given. Dr. Hicks liked to call Theora Thee for short, because it's cute. Theora's childhood was typical. She was smart, pretty, and popular. For her senior year of high school, she attended the Northfield Seminary for Young Ladies in Massachusetts. The seminary. It sounds like an institution. Like a, kind of. It sounds like a prison, actually. Maybe. I went to the cemetery. Wait, no, seminary. The cemetery. The cemetery. Seminary. 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 <laughs> Upon graduation, Theora's teachers said of her that she had an, quote-unquote, amount of impeccable countenance. Theora became the trusted chaperone in her house in her dorm at school. After graduation, Theora attended business school in New York City, becoming a stenographer and typist. You know, she didn't get Because that's any... what women did back then. When she... they went to quote-unquote business school, it was to be a stenographer or a typist. She didn't get the half Nelson. She went all the way through, unlike Jimmy. Yep. Who shot birds. Who shot birds. I don't know why I'm hating on Jimmy. This other douche, this <clears throat> McPherson guy, well, we'll he get seems there. like a dirty bastard. We'll get there. Okay. She spent some time in Florida caring for her mother in the fall of 1923 before entering Ohio State in the spring of 1924. She lived with her aunt, Harriet Holmes. Was she related to John Holmes? No. All right. 
who lived two blocks from campus for a short time until she found student housing. And they're all from Ohio, really. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a relation. I don't know. Maybe. Theora's father remembers warning her, quote unquote, look out for the flattery of men, my daughter. Look out for the flattery of men, my daughter. That's right. I, I bet that's how he said it, too. I mean, I, I, I definitely said that to you know our daughter when she went to college. Mm. I, I didn't say that. No, I'm, sh- I'm going to say that in text right now. Okay. Maybe when we're done. Okay. Okay. Good. She's going to wonder what's going on with you. Delete. I can tell you it's going to be, be be sent and deleted. It's not even going to be opened. <laughs> I think, delete. honestly, I think I think she has like 3,000 texts from me that have never even been open. So I bet she reads good. them. Mm, sometimes. It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, like, so he worried for his only child. Yeah, he, was, he was a, wor- well, you know. Right, so because he was a faculty member banging other like girls, so he's like, yeah, you know, I, I know how this works as a faculty member. Well, you know, according to him, she, even though she had a reputation for being quiet, she also kind of seemed to know no fear. She worked hard to put herself through medical school, and at the time of her murder, was just days away from taking her second year medical school examinations. That's sad. Well, how many years did medical school take in 1901 or whenever this was? Probably four. Like 10, four? No, probably four. So she was only like a quarter of the way there. Half the way there. She could, well. Dr. and Mrs. Hicks were so proud of Theora's accomplishments. Almost overnight, the co-ed's murder became national news. The Columbus Evening Dispatch urged readers to contact police if they knew someone who was, quote unquote, Heavily built, wears horn-rimmed glasses, is about 40 years old, and drives a Model T Ford. As a man fitting the description was now a suspect. By Saturday, the dispatch published a photograph of two suspects, one of them being Marion T. Myers, whom Theora had dated, and he had even proposed marriage to her. But Theora wanted to finish her education first. But according to Theora's roommates, she hadn't seen him for months. Myers was a 36-year-old head of the Ohio Corn Borer Research Bureau. Corn Borer yeah, Research. Yeah, say that 10 times fast. He, that, what is that? It is a moth that infests and damages corn crops. You know, I had enough of these moths. It's corn like the borers. emerald ash borer, except, yes. except it's the corn borer. Yeah, it's a, a moth. Are emerald ash borers moths? They turn into moths, I think. It's freaking moth. You know what? This guy was solid. She should have stuck with him. Myers was all right. Right. Whatever happened to that guy? You know what? I'll tell you what happened. He did his job because I'm eating corn. This time? I had cornbread tonight. Well, what happened to him is- Thanks to this guy. He he got engaged to another woman Mm. from Worcester, Ohio. Well, she probably liked corn. (laughs) Upon hearing of Theora's murder, Meyer actually did come to Columbus. Uh, He was taken into custody. That's lovely. Uh After Theora's autopsy was completed- The cops are like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, man. I I really- worried you know my heart's broken my ex-girlfriend or whatever she was murdered it's like you're coming with us he's like i'm just trying to find the moths and the murderer what's up moths and murders nice sounds like a that could be one of our that's the title of this uh this podcast the snow cook snow cook but it could be a a patreon okay that could be our five dollar level patreon i like that moths and murder i like it uh yeah yeah Okay. So, uh, after Theora's autopsy was completed, the doctor performing the autopsy stated that, quote, her throat was cut in such a manner that the jugular vein and another vein were severed, indicating that someone had wielded the knife who knew just what veins should be slit in order that the wound would be fatal, end quote. She had also been brutally beaten with a hammer, because overkill. McPherson. By Saturday morning. No, I think we know it's Snook, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Snook. I knew that. It's Snook. God. By Saturday morning following the murder, police were also knocking on James Snook's door. Detective Larry F. Von Skake asked Snook, do you know Miss Hicks? To which Snook answered, for quite some time. 
for quite some time. Von Skake. Von Skake. Yeah. Von Skake wanted Schnook. 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 Schnook to accompany him downtown for questioning. Like in the movies, like, you're coming with me downtown for questioning. Yeah, this guy was serious. Yeah. He was, he was almost you as good as Murphy. You hear it in his voice, right? He was like jiggling noses. Snook okay. was more concerned with his stomach. He wanted to know if he could finish his breakfast yeah, first. Well, Vance, Vance Cake was like, sure thing. If you want me to tell your wife why I want you to come talk to me. So Snook felt it best to leave with Vance Cake. Because he's like, I'm going to tell your wife if you don't come with me now. I love that. It's like two little kids. So Snook went with Vance Cake um, and got breakfast downtown instead. So he still got breakfast. Everyone got to eat. Everybody got to eat. It did not escape Von Skake's notice that Snook had his right hand bandaged and in a sling. Dude, so busted. When asked about it, Snook said he'd heard it working on his car. Yeah, man. The Model T? Yep, Model T. Snook was rather annoyed at the inconvenience, but the detective let him drive his own car to the station. How nice. With another detective alongside. Snook had planned to go see his 73-year-old mother as Sunday was Father's Day. After arriving at police headquarters and unbeknownst to Snook, Snook's vehicle was impounded. That's what See, I'm talking about. See, they can't about. do that anymore. That's you know what? No, we're hurting the police from doing their jobs. Or something. I like that they just did their job. No. They're like, yeah, hey, 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 just come on down. We got to talk to you. No, and they just took the car. They just took good it. job, cop. Good job, CPD. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. You know what? Murphy probably orchestrated that. He was not. He was the. Um, He's a coroner. Yes, but he was a good guy. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're gonna have to call it for today. And we will have part two next week. And again, most of these will just be one episode. This one was just too great to have it try to cram it all into one episode. So it's two. So we'll see you next time on Coward's Fury. Bye. Bye.